Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. Welcome to the podcast where we talk about stuff first. Sorry, start over again. Sorry. Welcome. Yeah. There, ready. Well, we already had the interesting conversation. <laughs> we had the, the pre-conversation. You could call it the green room conversation. It's actually just the conversation where we hope the recorder's off so we can talk freely about whatever we're working on. It has not always been off on occasion. <laughs> and occasionally sound techs get their feelings hurt. Well, that's by design, I believe. <laughs> they don't hear enough feedback on their own work. Just kidding, guys. You're great. Okay. Don't believe him. <laughs> Here we are. Podcast. <laughs> Episode 115, I think. Sassafras, episode 115. Someone did call it Sassafras. I did not like it. I was not okay with that one. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Sarsaparilla. Sass, yeah, Sarsaparilla is a little better. Uh, Sassfarilla. 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 Um, Gorillas. 115. Yeah. 115. Uh, and and uh, I'm trying to think what... We've got some good questions stored up for the JoJo episode, which we're doing next. Okay, good. And then, um, but as far as today, I think we just wanted to talk, talk murder mysteries. Murder. Mur <laughs> Said that way, yes. Murder. Yep. Um, uh, you know what I didn't do? Turn the cameras on? Turn the cameras on. Well, we definitely should leave this audio in the front. <laughs> are you, why are you supposed to turn the camera on? I'm not supposed to. I, have, was, I was supposed to tell them that you're here. We have people who are supposed to do this. Stand by. I'm still recording. Check my email. Yep. Yep, we're good. Thank you. Oh, boy. Really close, huh? As everyone uh, everyone saw our three camera setup in the free video episode, and we're very impressed. Why are we on one camera? Because the other cameras are visiting George Gilder. I am upset by this. You might think that I could afford that many cameras, and I think you're right. We got to get more. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you like the three camera setup, you will not get it this week. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, it should be like six, and we should do like a little matrix wrapper or matrix wrapper and shot. <laughs> that's a Can cool AI idea. do that? Massively overproducing podcast videos. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> I honestly, I promise you, listeners that we will overproduce a podcast video at some point soon <laughs> just for fun okay <laughs> okay says okay. brian we made the promise okay let's over i didn't say specifically how but we are going to overproduce right and over deliver and entirely entirely unnecessarily yeah we're going to overproduce a podcast episode probably green screen is how i think we're going to overproduce it no that'd be gross Six cameras then. That'd be we'll do motion capture. You and I will be in green suits. Oh wow. It's gonna be great. Have you ever done motion capture in any of your movies? No. Well not yet. No. Not um not anything I can talk about. I like to start up a, a podcast there was never, off with secrets. There was never a manatee in Riot in the Dance Water. It's all motion capture. It's all entirely fiction. <laughs> what was Gordon Wilson actually <laughs> hugging? <laughs> Gordon, oh, Dane, 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 Dane. What was Dane, Dane hugging? Dane was hugging basically a green sock of mud. 
<laughs> Anyways, you can look forward to that. Uh, Stories of Soul Food episode on mysteries. I'm very fond of mysteries, but I think they're probably the worst genre uh, at why? doing. Why no, 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 not the worst genre, period. Worst genre at doing what literature is supposed to do. Feeding. But why? Because mysteries, I, I'd say teaching you about humans, feeding you. Because I don't understand why why you think they're the worst at that. Because you don't never want to reread one after you find out the punchline. The person who done it. You do if it's a good one. Mm, and they're in live. I mean, episode, I think I, I think suppose, I think right? you just said something false. <laughs> <laughs> I, but and I, I think I think it's falsifiable in your own experience. <laughs> Uh, Have I, you ever reread a murder, murder mystery, Brian? Well, I know, but I feel like that's because I like that particular taste. Like I'll occasionally revisit right. a Hercule Poirot. But right. It's like saying I, you know, I think chocolate lava cakes are the worst dessert. <laughs> and here once, I go again. Because <laughs> once you've had the surprise in the middle, you know, you don't want it. It's again. all over. And here's here's where we, here's maybe where we have an interesting podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh boy that's gonna we're turning into what have you where we're just gonna giggle just giggling just giggle like uh, my sisters awful. Um, i can't do that yeah no we won't so no literature is not about information right if you're a grown-up mm -hmm. and i've said this before maybe on this podcast you shouldn't care about spoilers Right, like, but they matter for mysteries. Only bad mysteries. Okay. But they matter for what many people view as the best in the genre. So, Agatha. Agatha is not the best in the genre. Uh, most well-known, bestsellers in the genre. I bet you Sarah Lee sold the most apple pies. Mm. And yet everybody knows there's better apple pies. That's just the mass-produced one. Okay, but so, I mean, but I think you'd Does grant. anybody think that McDonald's sells the best hamburger in the world or just the most? Mm. Most and best don't even kind of encroach. Okay. So <laughs> that's a Venn diagram where they're <laughs> <it's> like <laughs> most and best are separate circles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, very rarely do, is there any overlap. So you think Agatha's bad? I think Agatha is not the best. Okay. She's the most successful. Okay. So, right. so I think you'd probably say then what we often view as Taco the Bell, current. the best Mexican food. <laughs> I mean, no knocks on Taco Bell and no knocks on Agatha, but yeah, they're just not get it for everybody listening. Get it out of your head that we like just simple units sold mm -hmm. is a measure of aesthetic quality or. And we know that's not the case. There's plenty of areas in our lives where we know that's okay. not the case. All right, but let's let's take it back around again. Uh, just when people think murder mystery, generally what they're referring to. Who done it? Yeah, the who done it. And yet you know you know better than that. So if we start talking about Raymond Chandler, mm, my probably favorite. Yeah, it's right? amazing stuff. Yeah. Why do you read Raymond Chandler? It's not for the who done it, obviously. To solve a puzzle? Yeah, no. 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 No, it's it's actually to eat the meal that's being served to you. There are there are plenty of and because so his the character the flavor the flavor and the substance of the meal is phenomenal. So his character work and his wordplay are you know second to none, right? I guess they're in that best they're category. Up, they're up there. Yeah, I mean his his voice is uh, probably top five. Yeah, you know of all time in the English language. <laughs> so right, 
you know, it's it's up there. And I'd have to really think to see if I could find other guys. There's plenty of people who've excelled, but I'm talking right. about the actual, you know, he, he's kind of like the first guy to put Pete smoke in whiskey. <laughs> you know, it's like he'd, yeah. he did something that was fundamentally definitive in the genre and many yeah. people have imitated it. Many of the mass produced things have, you know, Michael Connolly novels and other things. Everybody's right. hearkening back to Raymond Chandler and they're right. all trying to get that kind of hard bitten. And they've not detective. got to his level. Ever. Yeah. And it's, and you yeah. can't. And actually, I was, was joking about the Matrix and overproduction of this podcast video. Uh, and we will. We should do something ludicrous sometimes just for fun. But once somebody did a wraparound shot, like in the Matrix, once there was that freeze and, and pan through the frame, uh, multi-camera trick that they did, anybody who did that was doing a Matrix shot. Right. Okay. You know, it's like it was just that so was you're it. never and going so, to be that good. As and that so people shot. who imitate Chandler, like mm. it's actually really difficult because you you're just imitating Chandler, and you're not going to be as good as Chandler. Yeah, at being Chandler. So what you need to do is learn from him and the craft and all these other things, and then figure out your own voice. But realize that nobody nobody picks up trouble is my business. You know, mm. nobody picks up long. You know, whatever it is, big sleep. Or, it's like, yeah, uh, the big sleep and the uh, the long goodbye. The, yeah, the, um, win the window one too, really good. The high window <clears throat> is that? Yeah, the um, you don't pick those up um, because you're trying to figure out who put the pearls in the fish. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's you're you're reading it for Chandler. Yeah, and you're early it for and Philip early Marlo. early L.A. Yeah, right, that Philip Marlowe, this particular flavor. Yeah. His descriptive powers. Yeah, um, the crash between virtue and vice and, yeah. and the people on the edge of that. Mm -hmm. The people who live at that intersection. Right. The, cro the crossroads of good and evil. Yeah. And it's, you know, like that is a very unique flavor. And so there's no way that the cheap puzzle of, you know, as soon as you know who did it, you don't need to read it again. Mm -hmm. um, the cheap, that's the cheapest aspect of the genre. Right. But don't, don't people define it that way? I mean, isn't that what oh, most tons of people? And okay. so what? Yeah. So they <laughs> just they just don't know the they've never had anything but a McDonald's burger. That's what you're saying. Or a they come Jack to it. Daniels. They come to it for a very particular, uh, the same chemical reaction that people come to crossword puzzles for, or jigsaw puzzles, or anything like that. If if you are reading a mystery novel for the puzzle. Mm -hmm. then you're doing something that's it's fine it's not like it's immoral but you're just right you're, you're doing something that is the worst genre yeah you're saying <laughs> bring bring me a pie and don't tell me what's in it i'm just gonna find out <laughs> you know it's like that's, that's funny <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, just, so, yeah i got my eyes closed just yeah i got my just let <laughs> you know yeah and then uh then you get to sit there and be like i knew it was blueberry yeah i nailed nailed it <laughs> and it's funny to me how many people love to guess and be like i had this at like page 53 or like mm. i had this solved it's like so what i mean so that's the sign that they're not reading it for the character work the setting it's a puzzle there's nothing wrong with puzzles but they're right. reading they're reading a puzzle and they're trying to puzzle it out yeah and the good puzzle writers have enough information there that a smart person would figure it out uh, but overwhelmingly, they cheat. 
And over, then, yeah, because I was going to say they always they cheat that. They withhold information. You're reading Sherlock Holmes and you're withholding information that only he can see and suddenly he knows the answer and you had no chance of knowing the answer. Yeah. Well, we should talk Sherlock because I <laughs> I do think Sherlock is something that you keep reading, but maybe it's so, so much nostalgia. I mean, we all know the speckled band is a snake, right? But I still feel sure. like those stories set up. We all know the Hound of the Baskervilles was actually a rabbit. <laughs> uh, is it? <laughs> um, or the Redheaded League, you know, that they're doing something else. I, I wonder, those short stories almost can get away with more because they don't require you to read 300 pages. It's just watching but Sherlock Sher- But even there, Sherlock is successful not because of any of the mysteries and not because of the puzzles. Okay. It's successful because of Holmes as a character, his dynamic with Watson, mm-hmm. and that, like that relationship yeah, and that character. Just like Philip Marlowe and Chandler is the, you know, he's the vehicle. He's why people are there mm-hmm. because he is fun to know and watch and right. experience. Um, and that just takes it to a different level as far as as far as a book goes. It makes it a real novel and real writing. Yeah, and and I think maybe we've talked about this before, but if setting is key to the murder mystery, as I've heard it described, like setting has to be a character, or you're going to fail. It, that's true of every novel that you so you don't think that's murder mystery specific no <laughs> is that just because they weaken it it's a weak genre which, that's what i'm trying to let's say go, let's <laughs> go the other direction let's go let's go ahead and say you know what the best thing about this genre fill in the blank is because it can have a crappy setting mm. like no okay it can't <laughs> like they all have to have good settings like it's it, it really is funny to me that that people do ghetto wise murder mysteries but it's because murder mysteries have ghettoized themselves over, okay. overarchingly. So if think about giving romance novels the same treatment. Yeah. And then define romance. Are like are romance romance novels the worst genre? No. They're just the worst books. Like it's okay. People do a bad job. I see. And they do a bad job because the people who are reading are addicts and they're hooked on these Twinkies. And so you can just write to a low bar. And you can, AI could pump these out. You know, it's like you, you could just right. kind of pump this out. But is a romance novel by definition inexorably weaker? And the answer is no. Yeah. Like I mean, I think probably many of the classics rely upon romance as the, one of the fundamental drivers. Yeah. You know? And the and same the same thing's true where you, you pick the novel up and you're like, I wonder if they're going to end up together. Yeah. Is it about that? Is the, is the book actually about the question, the puzzle? Mm-hmm. It's like it's not if it's done well if you if you're reading pride and prejudice for the 15th time you are not reading it to find out if lizzie and darcy get together you're reading it to you know to marvel at her skill her character work uh and to, at humans <laughs> at, yeah. at, at humanity and at the the continuity of the human character through centuries mm-hmm. you know it's like and the and the way all these mannerisms work so Jane Austen is going to give you a return on your investment every time you read her. Every time you pick up a Jane Austen novel, you're going to get good stuff. You're going to get fed. Okay. Is that the case yeah. for Agatha Christie? No, not always. Gotcha. You might get a little handful of peanuts. Right. You know, and, and, like and she does some good stuff. It's not, I'm not trying to like, yeah. you know, I, I'm not trying to backhand all of her writing. I'm just saying that she started that genre down a road where people became hooked on the puzzle. Yeah. And there are, there's a whole personality of human that loves a puzzle. Yeah. It just really, really loves the puzzle. And, and you know, that's why they're reading. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't matter. When, when the book's good, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, it's interesting too because when you read the the few Agatha Christie's where she tried to to branch out branch out into adventure, like the four, the big four, you know, where yeah. he's like fighting a national crime syndicate, they're almost instantly laughable yep. the second that happens. And uh, I, I I think she's probably showing that her strength is in that tiny little she did it well microcosm yeah yeah she did it well i mean she but it is it is i mean mcdonald's might be demeaning to compare it to that it might be more applebee's <laughs> might be like you know fancy like applebee's on a date night nice um <laughs> just heard yeah. yeah what's one of the best lines is, is it bougie like natty yeah. squeaking in the styrofoam yeah yeah truck that all the way yeah yeah so there yeah that's kind of she might be more applebee's level a bourbon street steak from applebee's yeah um nothing, and nothing to knock no i like i <laughs> i say that and it's like great mm. you know do your thing it's not high but it's also not low by some like rule of the genre okay you know it's like it's maybe maybe i have some i mean we're already done with your with your false assertions i mean like <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe I, I hear here's a question for you do you really think none of the other do you think all genres are equal then i guess in in their potential or is there a particular kind of literature that has the ability to punch harder or punch punch up compared to others i think horror is the weakest um is that because it relies on something even weaker than a puzzle i mean i guess that you know somebody dying Horror. horror mostly because it has i can think of one good use yeah and for mystery for and i'll have to think about it more but for mystery for romance adventure everything else you could you could do a lot of things there right but, yeah you know, i mean i'm thinking i just finished crime and punishment which is a story about a murder right yeah but you'd know from whatever page page 100 yeah. that who did it Right, and you, the, even the detective knows by page what one fifty who did it. Sure, and it's just the story of uh, unraveling the crime, but no one calls that a murder mystery, probably because it's so long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so very. Let's, let's go, I'm going to go ahead and say horror and true crime are the worst, probably the, the worst, worst genres. And true, true crime is probably the actual worst. Okay, so but, I mean, just because it's so much relies on that vice tourism that you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, you just sit there and watch yucky Bec people do gross things to yep. real people. Yep. And yeah. so the the question there is what it's what is its good use? It's like what's yeah. its highest and best use? And so if you think of highest and best for these different things, then at its highest and best, um, on the one side, you'd measure its overall potential over against its worst. And so romance novels would be what's its highest and best. Wow, this is very mathematical. And I like then. It. Yeah, then the we lowest would be this. like worst would be like porn. Yeah. You know, it's like it's going to be pornographic. It's going to be Fifty Shades. It's going to go yeah. in really bad directions. Versus but, like, Song of Solomon, I guess. And so then then you'd be looking at like how, like just where it all naturally skews and like what's the good. So could a Christian write a fantastic horror novel? Absolutely. Could a yeah. Christian write a fantastic, you know, fantastic true crime yeah. novel? Yeah, they could. But its uses are more limited. It has less potential edification less potential benefit for fewer people so horror so, would be to op uh, you know russell kirk writing horror would be to open your eyes to the existence of either the way vice controls you or perhaps to a different world spiritual world might be some ways let's talk a little bit about 
the Netflix hit show Beef. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it needs filters. Um, okay. Yep. <laughs> it needs Ooh. it needs them filters, but at the same at the same time, it is phenomenal. Okay. And it's not all of it, but it's pretty amazing in this uh, almost Russian, just this Russian exploration of two broken characters who just spiral in bitterness and resentment against each other, who both originate in places of insecurity, deception, guilt, envy, and rage. They're both depressed. They're both, they both deal with suicidal tendencies. And they have an altercation in the pilot episode uh, over uh, in a parking lot. And these two characters that are that have gotten to such a keyed up bad place have an altercation, and then it just spirals. Hmm. And the the whole season is just the obliteration of all of their relationships and everything they have <laughs> because they give in to this temptation yeah. of bitterness and resentment, and it just builds and builds and builds until it goes like full Pratchett and remember children spoilers like who cares it's <laughs> it spirals until you're at the end and they're both dying in the desert with crows talking about them oh weird you know it's like it's <laughs> and you're just like wow like it it really just is this wild uh and it's, it's an example so when i talked about breaking bad is vice tourism it is not actually a reflective of this human journey this is way more condensed mm. and actually just accurately unpacks uh, the progression and, yeah. the, and the collapse. Okay. Through the there, whole thing. There were a lot of folks on YouTube specifically who were very upset about our Breaking Bad episode. So they just you know said what? we didn't understand it makes Breaking Bad. Makes me so happy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nate has I don't, I don't want to affirm <laughs> the consequence. It's like just because people are upset doesn't mean we did a good job. Mm -hmm. you know, like, it doesn't mean that. But uh, if people aren't upset, we know we didn't do a good job. Nice. If, if that we, right there is Modus Tolan's so, lady. Yeah, if we, if we do a good job, people will be upset. Just because they're upset doesn't mean we did a good job. But it's, you know, the, la the lack of um, people being bothered by it is, um, you know, that'd be a problem. It'd be a bigger problem. Um, I do think that, you know, if we actually watched through Breaking Bad, like which I don't have the time for, but if we really methodically went through it, we would find lots of things about it that we could praise. Yeah. There'd be a lot of pieces, but there's so much of it and the agenda became money. So it starts out, and this yeah. is the nature of the, of the industry. The, it starts out as character and hook and like the ability to tell a story and like draw, draw people in. And then as soon as you have them hooked, it's like, oh boy, how do we make this as big as possible? And then at some point, the creators who've now made a ton of money and want to tell a different story, they get to a place where they're like, and now we need to end this. Uh, see Game yeah. of Thrones. And everybody's so mad at how they just ended the whole thing. Um, the Game of Thrones fans are all in a dither about it. And it's like they wanted to do something else with their lives. I mean, so at first they pitch it. They draw you in with the shock and everything else and all the vice tourism and all the weirdness and, every, and all that deal. And then they prolong there's a phase of prolonging and then there's the phase of i need to go home now from the creators <laughs> and <laughs> and you can you can understand that like you could have an idea and i could love the idea but if i 
make my pilot and make my first season and I'm all excited about it and everybody else is all excited about it. And then they want another season and I'm like, yes, we're making money. We're making shows. This is good. And they're like, we want five more seasons. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a yeah. lot. Yeah. Nine seasons. Um, yeah, let's wow. keep, let's keep on marching. You know, like what it just, you need to get off the interstate at some point creatively and go do something else. So yeah. the life cycle for the creators of a show like that is, is complicated. Mm -hmm. But if, if we laid it out and we we're like, we're watching all of these episodes and I can say this at Game of Thrones, I actually had to watch chunks of it. I didn't want to, I was hoping to, to just boycott it. I had to watch chunks. And I was familiar with the books because my publisher made me a long time ago. Um, and there's a lot in there where you're like, wow, not like, especially in the middle when people are excited and they have the maximum budgets mm. and everybody's still living the dream. <laughs> okay. It's like, wow, you guys really, you did some great stuff. And then when you can see when they want to get off the train, they're trying to get off the ride uh, and go somewhere else. And so Breaking Bad is that way. Beef is a standalone single, yeah, season. single season. Will there be another one? Probably, because this is the moment when the check gets written, you know, and somebody's going to cash a check and they're, you know, going to go do something that may or may not be terrible. Um, and like I said, that one really needs, uh, it really needs filters. But I, I found it uh, remarkable. Yeah. Okay. And it's, and the, the simple thing is if you take any genre and you grab something, like I'm going to tell a story about the destruction of characters and how sin can just destroy you. Yeah. A great writer could do that. They could do that in horror. They can do that in anything. Crime and punishment. Yeah. You can do that. You can do that in anything. A really good writer can. But particular types of things like horror are useful to smaller groups of people. And they're useful less frequently. Yeah. So if somebody's like, I love this horror novel and I'm going to reread it so many times, then you're like, oh. Something's <laughs> like, a little off. Something's yeah. a little, yeah. you know, something's a little uh, squirrely there. So. Right. Okay. So, um, jump into some of the, the, the best mysteries, I guess. I'm wondering if Father Brown is our apex of a, a mystery. No, I mean, if we're, if we're going to be honest, Father Brown's kind of trash. You don't like Father Brown? Love Father Brown. Ah, <laughs> good. Good. Okay. Yeah, I love Father Brown and it's trash. So, just an occasional awesome insight that he it's, packs into you know, a story that may or may not work. He had a thing. Father Brown to me is, we're, st we're sticking with the food. This is stories are soul food. Father Brown to me is like Fig Newtons and frozen pound cake at my grandmother's house. Mm. You know, she pulls out that store-bought frozen pound cake and slices you up some and lets it thaw and you eventually eat it. And you're like, I love this. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, but I love this in a... Yes, I would like some top yeah. ramen with my yeah, yeah. grilled cheese sandwich. 100%. <laughs> yeah. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> but it's um, basically... There's context and there's reasons for my affection. And I love Chesterton and I love his observation. I love his wisdom. Um, and so seeing his, his wisdom comes through mm -hmm. as literary art. They are not sophisticated or good. Yeah. Okay. And I right. don't care. Like, I don't, I don't care. They're, I love them. You mean because none of them are, they don't hold together. They're... The it, it, too convoluted and uh, no formulaic. Gotcha. Okay. They're super formulaic. I owe Father Brown, you know, plenty, but they are formulaic, predictable. You know, just the same. Yeah, it's the same thing over and over and over again. It's he, he kind of factory produced some stuff that made some money, and uh, the character's good, but you know, he he's not nothing amazing. Yeah, gotcha. It's not it's not high art. 
And it's, but it, that in no way diminishes my affection for it. Right. Not being a snob. And I have learned a great deal from the Father Brown stories. So anyway, it's not, um, I'm not deluded about it though. Right. Okay. A Fig Newton for me means my grandmother's kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it's associated with all these other things. Awesome. Do I buy them at the store and eat them at home? No, I don't. <laughs> love it i think i can i can see the the cash problem when when you watch knives out which was that hit success <laughs> versus glass onion the glass next onion. one where, where you just think this what, is what happened yeah this was not a product <laughs> of anything anyone wanted <laughs> oh it's like oh boy yeah that, that yeah it, do you think that is what happened just like getting into a genre of like oh no now we have to do another one or do you think it's more of the one hit wonder thing it's, you had a good idea and then tried to replicate it. it. So if we if we switch to a band, right, and we're gonna say, "Hey, that that song was a hit," do another song like that one. Oh yeah, you know it's it's tough, and it's like you can't really do another one like that one. It has to be enough like that one that people come back for the taste and the flavor, different enough that it's a hit on its own right. Mm -hmm. And that's the hard part. And so that is actually probably one of the hardest things to do would be to write a sequel to tackle like number two, because number one was successful. And how do you make number two valuable unto itself while mm. still echoing number one enough that people who show up aren't disappointed, aren't disappointed. And that's why you have so many bands and authors who write a sequel that is really, really different. And everybody yep. says, I hated that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like that. Or they write yeah. the exact same thing and get made fun of. Yeah. You know, see Hootie and the Blowfish. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of, a, it's tough. So I, I remember sitting out uh, on my porch thinking through Daniel on fire. And my first sequel, sequel, like, okay, I'm, I'm doing my revisions on Daniel on fire. It's like, man, this is hard. You know, this is actually like truly serialized. So it's a little bit easier. I'm continuing the story. But if somebody said to me, why don't you write another Lee Pike Ridge? That's like, well, that was, a, that was a complete story. Like, well, but can you write a number two? And it has to have the same characters. That's mm. like, really? You know, it's Tom and his mom and his stepdad, Reg. And I'm going to, they moved somewhere. Are they in the same valley? Are they in the same house? I'm going to do another. Mm. story and it's like it kind of starts to turn into uh national treasure at that point where it's like <laughs> you know you're you're stuck like Stealing. where is the treasure gonna be this time bob it's gonna be <laughs> under mount rushmore <laughs> you know it's <laughs> and i'm gonna steal it again <laughs> there was actually an organization even more secrety and even richer than the templars <laughs> you know it's like uh, it's just it's goofy yeah. Uh, and so some devices work like Indiana Jones and you have like archaeological adventures. And so the, the episodic nature of it is built into the concept. Right. But even there, you see, you see it stumble. You see it be weak. And this is a, this is a functional comic book franchise. I mean, this is yeah. not striving for high art. It's just trying to be fun. And it is. But everybody's like, Raiders of the Last Ark, eh, Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, rah. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Are you joking me? That thing yeah. was so trash. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's really really difficult. Yeah, and so okay, I, I think it's part of it's like yeah, there's somebody writing you a massive check to try to solve a problem, and it needs to have, you know, it needs to be a sequel of Knives Out, and it's got to 
have the same tone, the same flavor, and bring in the fans, but be all new and interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just really difficult to do. Yeah, you got to thread it, thread it perfectly, yeah. or it fails. There's the bullseye gets very small. Yeah, you know, Die Hard one. Yeah, rad. Die Hard two. Mm. <laughs> yeah, not so rad. And so, like movies, like. Although uh, they started to pull it out back when uh, they got to Rocky. four or five. Yeah. Rocky. And then Rocky 2, you're like, okay, we needed that. We needed him to, you know, come back and win. And then like, now we're going to go through this long, you yeah. know, the, this long famine of good Rocky movies. And then eventually we're going to have Creed, which is like, this is good. Mm. This is pretty good. And then we're going to see Creed 2 and Creed 3. And you're like, <laughs> you know, it's just yeah, it's kind of funny. Like, oh, my gracious. <laughs> uh what was the other one how many transformers movies will have been made before we all die how many oh yeah how many marvel movies will they ever the stop? real question is how many lord of the rings movies are <sighs> going to be made by the time we die that might be the most offensive that's the yeah. most personally offensive just in in your eye over and over again <laughs> yes and no i never watched the hobbit movies and i never did i finish lord of the rings i don't think i did don't think i did i think i watched enough to be mad i watched them with my children all of them? No. Well, not the Hobbit movies. Why would you do that to them? Uh, we read it first and then watched it. Okay, that's a little better. It was, it was good. I wanted to see if they could Did tell they the difference. Did they get mad? Yeah, they're mad good. about parts. Good. Okay. I think they still want to watch them again, though. <laughs> they're, they're at that stage where the sword fight is the coolest thing in the entire movie. So, <laughs> Show them things on YouTube. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you don't need to watch this film again. Uh you know, I don't know. When they throw Gimli across the chasm, it's just comedic genius. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Nate's face is a picture of sorrow for those of you who... I was mad. <laughs> I was really upset. But it's, it, it is funny because when they were first making them, I was actually... Well, it's, it's, it is amusing to me because I was going to the very, my very first Fellowship of the Ring theatrical showing on opening night. And I was walking in with my wife saying, I either want this to be good enough that I'm thrilled or bad enough that I get to remake these someday. Mm. You know, it's like, it needs to just dwindle and go away. And it was neither. Yeah, neither. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, it yeah. was It was just kind of nothing. Um, wow. And, you know, it was huge. But I, I even, I was also commenting at the time, I was like, you know, it makes so much more sense if they did three movies per book. Well, you know, it's like because the the scale of the stories in Lord of the Rings is like Fellowship of the Ring, like there's there's breaks, and you could actually have done it's like long form storytelling would have been so much better, or series like big mm, grand yeah. series trying to do it, even in his long movie, like hey, let's do a long movie for the one was a mistake, and then he finally realized, you know what, we should do a ton of movies per book with The Hobbit, which has the least. The least meat. And so, we, yeah. yeah, it's like, now we get to The Hobbit and we're going to milk this thing, you know, yeah. for, forever. But the whole thing's just sad and unfortunate. Yeah, well, it's funny that I'm here defending it because I'm <laughs> known as having not enjoyed it that much. But I did as a junior high kid when my family family went to it, you know? I mean, you just, I think a junior high kid isn't yet immune to things like the wargs. You know, they're like that giant hyena thing. It's just kind of cool to see on a screen. <laughs> so you haven't learned you haven't learned to ask the critical questions like, why is there a hyena in Middle Earth? Yeah, it's it's a little bit 
um, your position here is is a little bit like saying, when you're in junior high, it's still fun to drizzle chocolate syrup and spray whipped cream in your mouth at the same time. We, <laughs> I, I so, think that is actually so. What I'm so we yeah, it's your fig. So Newton. we should so we should do that, and it's like, uh, <laughs> no, Brian, no, we should not. I I'm just saying. I think fundamentally that I am what I am. Okay, yeah, and you okay. can't you can't return to that junior high kid and say stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I did try to create, well, it wasn't always intentional, but I think I did create a bunch of narrative snobs in my family. Yeah. And it's funny. It is funny. I just, I may have, I might have even mentioned this here, but I showed my younger two, John Wick. And, you know, we, we had it filtered, but we watched John Wick. And afterwards, my son was just like, oh, so lame. <laughs> you know, the, the teenage male, which should, he should have just been. Yeah absorbed and it kind of crashed. He should have been a whipped cream like, right there. Just in Yeah, it should have been like, you know. <laughs> Give me more. And yeah, sign me up. Which he will do with the whipped cream, by the yeah. way. He's fine with whipped cream. Yeah, he's fine he's with that. John but, Wick. But he was, yeah, it was very much like a please don't ever make me watch one of those again was sort of his yeah. mind. And I thought, I have, I have raised snobs. Yeah. So, it's, and of course, one of his favorite movies is Baby Driver. So, it's not like we're entirely snobs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. know that I watch. I don't know that I made it through that one. You didn't make it through. Am I mixing it up with the other one, the other Driver movie? The Drive. Yes. You should see Baby Driver. Okay. Uh, but it's um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that he's he's good at always telling people that it was filtered. You know, like you 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 learn the hard way, and you forget to mention Vid Angel or Clear right. Way. <laughs> but yeah, we we tend to filter movies whenever possible. Yeah. But it's um. Anyway, that so it's not like we're complete snobs, but uh, there are plenty of times when things when when stuff takes itself seriously, that is probably the biggest offense. Yeah. So again, back to the Sarah Lee, you know, yeah, whatever it is, pound cake, apple pie, whatever you bought from the grocery store, it's when it presents itself as important and serious that it's problematic. When something self-identifies as like, hey, I'm a quick snack, right? Hey, I'm just for fun. You know, I'm popcorn, yeah. I'm Doritos. Yeah. As opposed to, I'm an artist. <laughs> I'm very serious and very important. I'm Batman. Yeah, that, yeah. that three-hour new Batman. <sighs> yeah, that, that kind of thing. So, it's um, that that's probably the issue is when, when things self-identify as grander or more sophisticated or right. more important than they are. And things self-identify down too, which is to tie it all the way back in. I think that's what murder mysteries often do is they self-identify as a puzzle as just a puzzle and they aren't striving for anything other than paper doll characters. Yeah. You know, and it's about the discovery of the answer and about having puzzled something out and then you can throw it away and never actually read it again. I used to back in the days when there were airport bookstores mm -hmm. and there still are some, you know, the rare occasion and there would always be those airport pulp novels. Yeah. And I would, whenever I was on book tour or, you know, just around traveling for work, I would grab one at every airport. And it was funny because this might sound horrible to people, but I don't think it is. So I would grab like a Harlan Coben or something, you know, a Michael Connolly, or I'd grab one of these novels, board the flight, read it on the flight, drop it in the trash can when I got off <laughs> and grab another one. And I would just go through one of these uh, 
Where whether you were finished or not, or would you? No, say I'd, I'd finish it in the flight. Okay, so I'd I'd read the thing on the flight. Yeah, and I'd be done. And it might really short flights. It you know I'd, I might make it two flights. But if I was flying, you know, anywhere significant. Yeah. Then I'd finish the book and drop it in the trash. You're and, just treating it like the food that it is. Yeah. And I and I did not do that resenting it. I was dropping it in the trash because it's heavy and I didn't want it in my bag. And it was just a disposable paperback. Like right. this is just. You know, this mass, you know, this mass market pulp and grab, read, consume, enjoy like an airplane snack. Yeah. You know, I was grateful for it. I liked them. I liked the mental engagement of doing that on a flight and then just being done and move, moving on. That's where I, I've read most of my crime and murder mystery experience yeah, is Michael, all Michael Connolly is all via flights. <clears throat> yeah. You know, it's like. Via flights. And it's very similar. It's like, you know, download a movie, delete when you're done. Like, you know, delete. Right. It's gone. You know, just a quick consumption. So, I'd, I got through, man, that was most most of my pulp crime experiences, book tours. And it was funny when I would get through three, you know, across in the country. Just like get through multiples of these on, on different legs. Uh, you can tell that I was not reading very studiously and closely, you know, just <laughs> fast. I was just going. Okay. P.D. James or uh, um, Dorothy Sayers, which one do you like better for murder mystery? I like Doglish better than Whimsy. Mm. Uh, they're very different. And P.D. James has the benefit of coming after Sayers. Yeah. Uh, there's more frolic and Sayers and more despair and PD James, mm -hmm. you know, so, but they're, they're just, they're different. And Sayers is worldview better. And PD James is craft better. Yeah. Um, why do you think so many detectives are atheists now? Why is that the move? Feels, you know, it, it's, it feels like you're going to get, I mean, I'm thinking of even shows like Endeavor, which are spinoffs of class, like Inspector Morse, right? Yeah. All the way down the line, the immediate go-to is I got to make this detective an atheist. Well, I think that that's the case and it makes sense. I think it's a normal human reaction. So your, your two choices when you are on the front lines, when you're on the intersection of that good and evil, when you're dealing with really awful and grim and terrible things, Mm. It, your two choices are total despair yeah or uh pretty intense faith you're not gonna like you have to be a calvinist yeah you're, yeah <laughs> you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna live calvinist. okay you're not gonna survive in the middle so the if you if you give hollywood and the bbc and everybody else a choice you're like hey realistically if we're, if we're being realistic either this person's gonna be very pious and in pretty constant prayer Right. In regular communication right. with God, like Father Brown style, just going to be, there's going to be, yeah, like he's going to be hanging on to God for dear life to survive his daily work. Or he's going to spiral and, you know, and turn into Christopher Hitchens or to Luther, the, you know, the right. Elba character, where it's just kind of like nihilistic. Yes. You know, and, and despairing. And I think that those really are the two realistic paths. And I think the suicide rates, in cops among cops um the corruption rates everything else i think that's what happens i think you either have mm. the best of the best i think in in law enforcement in homicide detectives like in people who are really really 
faced with dark stuff, I think you are going to, in that class of person, you're going to find the worst of the worst, the most jaded, the most cynical, the most hardened, the most nihilistic and despairing and self-serving. Mm-hmm. And you are also going to find the most noble, the most courageous, you know, it's like the most faithful. Mm. Like it just, you're not going to be able to sit in the gray middle the way you could if you sell insurance. Yeah. You know, where it's like, you're not, you're not faced with the giant questions. You're not faced with, you know, night terrors and all the, all the psychological damage that you're going to deal with. Yeah. You know, in that job. And so I think that particular job is going to cut you know, going to cut people two directions. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Okay. Last, last question that I got. Do you, do you fancy the, you know, something like a movie like rear window, right? Yeah. Where an average character is thrown into a mystery sure. and trying to figure it out versus an expert trying to figure out some kind of mystery. Well, With- I, li- I like the rear window. I like the North by Northwest. I, yeah. I enjoy that. I don't dislike the expert. Yeah. You know, if the expert's well done. So the Philip Marlowe, right. The doglish character, you know, for PD James, but you know, it's kind of a, it's more fun to see somebody relatable and normal get swept into something. Yeah. You know, it is definitely, it connects differently to, to the reader. Yeah. The rear window witnessing a murder is much more like, Whoa, what did I just see? As opposed to, I think we all assume that Cops are like monk. This is my job and I got a phone call and I'm going to figure this out. Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. Do you have a favorite detective? Uh, It is monk, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's Marlowe. Yeah. Yeah. Philip Marlowe. That's pretty easy. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, Behind him is probably Doglish. And, and Doglish frust frustrates me because he's never actually reached his potential yeah you know he's never quite i haven't read a ton i've only read so he's he's and i really do process him as a bunch of potential in those pd james novels where it's like man this is a character that could have really been something got some she has she has the raw she has the raw like material baked in this character to make him very interesting and then she doesn't most of the time. And let that be a lesson to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, there we go. That's been SAS. We discussed why Brian's completely wrong in this prejudice against mystery novels, which is funny because I'm not usually the one defending them. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't think they're um, in the doghouse at all. Instead, we put horror and true crime in the doghouse. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And we don't really need to talk about it anymore. We can just move on and it doesn't matter who reaches out upset. Yep. (laughs) You know that now is the time when I like to thank you for being a SASF listener and also show you something cool that we've been working at uh, at Canna Press. And what I'm holding right now, if you can, or if you're only listening in audio, you won't be able to see this. You'll have to listen to the sound. But if you're watching on Canon Plus and if you're a subscriber, you can see I'm holding a Christ is Lord box. Go to ChristisLord.com to see why we're trying to put up a billboard that says Christ is Lord in your area and why that's making certain sad sections of the internet very upset. Of course, it's true. And so we got some fun stuff inside. Again, if you're just listening, hear the wonderful sounds. We got stickers. 
We got bumper stickers. We have, yeah, they say Crisis Lord too. We've got a wartime songbook. But of course, the most important part of this box is the Mere Christendom book, which I have to say, is one of the most pretty books you're going to see. Check out that foil on the cover, the elegant cross on it. And of course, a signature from Douglas Wilson. What is Mere Christendom? Well, basically it's the declaration of the book that Christ conquered the West the first time, and this is how he's going to do it again. So, Christislord.com, buy the book, check out the billboards, and enjoy.